Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and I'm so glad that you are here with us today to join us as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so whether you call Bridgewater Church your home or you're here for the first time, we are so glad that you are with us today. Now, to be totally honest, I think sometimes we can celebrate Easter just because it's another day on the calendar without really thinking about how the resurrection of Jesus is a big deal for our everyday lives. And so this morning, I wanna help us see that connection for why the resurrection of Jesus is really a big deal for our everyday lives. And to start out, I wanna just talk about some current events. Now, normally, I don't really pay attention to the news and what's going on, but I heard about the recent shooting in Nashville, Tennessee, where a shooter entered a Christian school and shot six people three adults and three kids. My heart just breaks for the family members and the friends of those who are victims of that shooting. Like I can't even imagine what it would be like to drop my kid off at school and then not see him in the afternoon. This is an awful tragedy. Another big event that made news a few months ago was this train that was traveling through Ohio carrying toxic chemicals, and it got derailed in Ohio, and all of those toxic chemicals spilled all over the place and made the air hazardous to breathe. It also seeped into the water supplies, and 1,500 people had to be evacuated from their homes, and they're still cleaning up this mess. And those are just a couple of big news items from a national level, but I want to bring things in a little bit closer to home. Just this last week, I started praying for two people who were recently diagnosed with cancer. And I read the statistic that 39% of Americans will get cancer at some point in their lives. Maybe you've had cancer, maybe you've beat it, or you're currently walking through it right now. And I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that everybody here in this room has a loved one who is fighting cancer right now. The other thing that's really been on my heart and mind lately is the increasing rates of depression and anxiety and even suicide. Since COVID, depression and anxiety rates have gone up 25%. And personally, I don't have a lot of experience with anxiety, depression, or thoughts of suicide. But my heart just breaks for people who deal with this on a regular basis. In 2020, there were more than a million suicide attempts in America. I just think, what kind of emotional agony are people going through where they would welcome death more than life? We just live in this broken world. It's not like people choose to get cancer. It's not like people choose to live with depression. It's part of just living in this world. And I think that everybody here has their fair share of hardships and disappointments in life. And maybe you've wrestled with the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And so I want to raise the question, is there hope in this broken world? Is there hope that things could ever get better? Like, will there ever be an end to the pain and the suffering 
that you face or that your loved one lives with on a day-to-day basis. And before we kind of get into this question, I want to get some background on why this world is so broken and messed up with to begin with. And that background comes from the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And so we're going to get into a passage in Genesis in just a little bit, and we'll have it up here on the screen for you to follow along. But the book of Genesis begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to say that everything that God created was good. There was no brokenness. There was no pain. There was no sickness. There was no death. And even the first humans that God created were perfectly innocent, Adam and Eve. But they were innocent to begin with. God gave them one commandment, and that commandment was to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it didn't take long before Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commandment, and they took a bite of that fruit. And the moment that they did, their innocence was stripped away from them. And for the first time, they had a knowledge of good and evil. And then when God confronted Adam and Eve, he placed a curse on the earth, And the effect of God's curse on the earth is basically summarized in Murphy's Law. Like if something bad can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And that is when this earth became broken and full of pain and full of suffering. But even in that moment, God did not give up on humanity. And he actually offered Adam and Eve and all of humanity a mercy in disguise. And so that's what I want to read about in Genesis 3.22. So you can follow along with me, or it'll be right up here. It says, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So early on, in the beginning of this world, there was this tree in the garden that God created called the tree of life. And this tree was responsible for sustaining life. And after Adam and Eve sinned, God blocked them off from ever eating from the tree of life. Because if they were to eat from this tree, then they would live forever. How can you imagine living forever in this world? being immortal. And maybe it sounds like a nice idea at first, but then you get to thinking, living forever in a world with pain, with brokenness, with suffering. And so God offers humanity this mercy in disguise by not allowing Adam and Eve to eat from this tree because it is not God's plan for humanity to live forever in a broken world full of pain and full of suffering. And since that moment in history, God has been unfolding his plan to make a way for his people to live with him forever in a world that is free of brokenness, with no more pain, and with no more suffering. And God has been revealing this plan through his only son, Jesus. 
And Jesus gave up his rightful place in heaven with all the glory that he deserves to come to this broken earth in the form of a human and to live a life full of hardships. Jesus was born in a stable surrounded by animals. He was born into a family that didn't have a lot of money. Jesus knows what it's like to grieve the loss of a loved one. Jesus has been betrayed by friends. But what sets Jesus apart from anybody else who's ever walked this earth is that Jesus was sinless. He was perfect in all of his thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors. Jesus was totally innocent, but it was part of God's plan for Jesus to die. And Jesus was arrested by the religious leaders who didn't like his teaching. And he was put on trial before the Romans. And people accused him of things he didn't even do. And they sentenced him to death. And Jesus was mocked. He was spit on. And he was beaten. They took a whip full of cords entangled with shards of metal and glass. And they beat him 39 times with that whip because any more than that was known to kill a man. And then Jesus carried his own cross through the city streets to the hill where he would be killed. And up there on that cross, the worst of it all is God the Father turned his back on his one and only son. And Jesus was paying the price for sin that all of us deserve to pay so that through him, we can have forgiveness of our sins. And because of what Jesus has done, because God the Father turned his back on Jesus, he made a way so that God the Father would not have to turn his back on us. But Jesus didn't stay dead. And after three days, he rose up out of that grave. And what the resurrection means for all of our lives is so significant because it gives us hope. And we're gonna see what that hope looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 21, it says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Here we see a comparison between the first human, Adam, and Jesus. Adam brought sin and death into this world when he disobeyed God and ate from the fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat from. But Jesus came to this world to bring life through his own death. He made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins so that we can live with God forever in a world that is free of brokenness and free of pain. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that this is possible because if Jesus died and he stayed dead, there would be no hope for us. If God doesn't have the power to raise Jesus from the dead, 
And there's no hope that God would have the power to raise us to new life as well. And so the resurrection of Jesus is so important because it promises us complete transformation. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead and he received a new body, a body that wouldn't die, a body that wouldn't get sick or feel pain. Just as Jesus received that body after his resurrection, all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus for salvation will receive a body like that when Jesus comes back someday. And so let's talk a little bit about what that body is like. In verse 35, it says, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. And then skipping down to verse 43, it says, Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. I think that oftentimes death can be scary, especially when we don't know what's coming next. But death doesn't have to be scary if we can have this hope, this hope that this life is not all that there is and that death is actually a doorway to a better life. And this passage uses a farming analogy. So imagine with me that all of us are like an acorn. Acorns are pretty cool, but an acorn has so much more potential than just remaining as an acorn. You see, an acorn has potential to become a great oak tree. But in order for that acorn to become a great oak tree, first it has to be buried in the ground, and then it has to die. And its outer shell splits apart, and the new life rises from it. It becomes this great tree. And the splendor of this tree is far greater than what it was before, just an acorn. This is a picture that we can have of the hope that we can have in Jesus, that someday when Jesus comes back, all of us who have placed our faith in him will receive this new body that is far greater than what we've ever had in this life, a body that will not get sick and die, a body that doesn't wrestle with physical difficulties or mental struggles. And this isn't just a physical transformation. This is also a transformation of the heart. And for the first time when we are with God in heaven, there will be no more sin in our hearts, no more pride and no more selfishness ruling our lives. We'll finally be able to love God 100% in the way that he deserves without any of this junk in our hearts. And to finally love people without selfishness or selfish ambitions. And we can have this hope because Jesus was the example that resurrection is possible. And we also have hope because the resurrection of Jesus defeated death. And in the Garden of Eden, 
It looked like death had its victory when Adam and Eve ate from that fruit. And death had its apparent victory when Jesus was up there on that cross. But death does not have the final word over Jesus. And Jesus defeated death when he rose up out of that grave. And this is a picture of the victory that we can have someday over death. In verse 54, it says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be honest with you, sometimes I don't really look forward to heaven, not as much as I should, because I just get to this place of accepting the brokenness and the pain of this world. I'm like, ah, it is what it is. I guess I just have to make the best of it. And so I go through this life just trying to keep myself protected from pain and from hurt or just seeking the best things that this world has to offer through entertainment, through life experiences, through traveling. And those things aren't bad, but those things were never meant to replace the hope that we can have in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope that, that there is more to this life than just living for today. It gives us purpose. You see, if Jesus died and he stayed dead and there was no hope of living on in heaven with God, then we might as well just get all that we can out of this life. We might as well live for comfort. We might as well live for pleasure. But Jesus is risen from the grave, and this gives us a greater purpose. Back in biblical days, there was this common saying, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. But the people saying this, they didn't have their hope in Jesus. They were just trying to get the most that they could out of this life, because they thought that this was it. But the writer of this book of the Bible combats this idea with what he says in verse 58. He says, so, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. The resurrection gives us hope when we feel weary and beat down in this life, that we can stand strong because of the hope that we have in Jesus. This resurrection of Jesus gives us purpose for life, that we're not just living for ourselves or the things of this world, but we have a purpose greater than ourselves in living for God and using this life here on earth to make a difference for the next life. I started out this morning reading about the tree of life in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. I wanna wrap things up now by reading about the tree of life in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And this is a prophecy about what heaven will be like. In Revelation chapter 22, in verse one, it says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. 
It flowed down from the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day, to being with God in heaven, where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, when we're not living in a broken world that is under a curse, but is going back to living life the way that God designed it in the Garden of Eden. But until that day comes, all of us are living on a timeline between the tree of life in the book of Genesis and the tree of life in the book of Revelation. And right there in the middle, we have what you could call the tree of death, the cross and the crucifixion that Jesus endured to make a way for us to have forgiveness of our sins so that if we turn to him, we can have this hope of everlasting life with God in heaven in this world free of brokenness and free of pain. And I want to share with you this quote about the tree of life. It was a mercy that God kept us from the tree of life. By barring access to the tree of life, God showed compassion in his omniscience, knowing that because of sin, earthly life would be filled with sorrow and toil. God graciously limited the number of years men would live. To live eternally in a sinful state would mean endless agony for humanity with no hope of the relief that comes with death. By limiting our lifespan, God gives us enough time to come to know him and his provision for eternal life through Christ but spares us the misery of an endless existence in a sinful condition. And if you are here this morning, it means that God has given you this window of time to know Jesus as your savior so that you can have this hope that we're talking about today. The Bible says that now is the day of salvation because none of us are guaranteed another day. But if God is working in your heart, if you've never come to this point in your life of turning to Jesus as your forgiver, recognizing that there's no way that you can get to heaven through your own strength. There's not enough good works that you could ever do to get this pass into heaven or to just cover up the sins in your life. You need to turn to Jesus and the forgiveness that he has just waiting for you if you would look to him and to come to this point of looking to Jesus as your leader, instead of living for yourself, living for him, becoming the person that God created you to be. And if, if God is working in your heart, I would say that there is no better time than today to make that decision. And if you have questions about how to do that or what that looks like, I really want to encourage you to talk to the person that invited you to church today. Or you can always talk to me or Kurt, either at the end of the service or catch up with us some other times. And we don't want to push you to make some kind of decision that you're not ready for. This is the best decision that you could ever make. And then at the end of the service today, 
We're going to have a team of people up in the front here who would love to pray for you for whatever it is that's going on in your life. If you've just been facing some challenges lately and it feels like an uphill battle and you don't know where to turn, we'd like to pray for you and turn to God and cast your cares on him. Or if you want to make a spiritual decision and you want somebody to help walk you through that, and these people would love to be there for you, to pray with you, and to just come alongside you in that journey. But before we get to that moment, we're going to hear the story of a man named Bob, who I got to know very briefly. I never met him in person, but during the pandemic, I was calling him on a weekly basis. And Bob wasn't coming to church during the pandemic because he had some pretty severe health issues. And as of just a few weeks ago, he's gone to be with Jesus. But for the last quite a few years, Bob's hope wasn't in his health. His hope wasn't in what this world could offer him. His hope was in Jesus and the power of the resurrection. And I think it's so amazing that even though he is with God in heaven right now, that his story lives on. And I hope that the message of his story will be an encouragement to you. Years ago, I had a problem with drinking. Well, that didn't get me anywhere. Matter of fact, this got me into a lot of trouble, a lot of expense. And uh, eventually, I went to AA. They talk about your higher power. But to me, my it's God. I asked God to save Mike, you know. And he did. He saved me from the alcoholism. That was before I think I was saved. I really accepted him into my life, and that was around 2006. God is in control of my life. I let him come into my life. I mean, he's taken a lot of things, a lot of my bad habits away from me. And he's, he's made me a better person, you know? It's not the things that I do to make me better in God's eyes. God makes me better through his grace. And I do good things because of the grace he has shown me. I do good things, well, because I want to, but because he's in me. I have him guiding me. It's like having my dad there guiding me. It's powerful, man, it's real powerful. This has um, been both a uh, trying, but a very, very good past couple years. And the reason is I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I went to Johns Hopkins and had it removed. But um, apparently they didn't get all of it. And as a result, it spread. One night I went to go get up to uh, go to the bathroom and it felt like somebody stabbed me in the back. It turned out I had three fractured vertebrae and a fractured pelvis. Um, cancer spread into that area of the bones and I have it in different areas. So I'm just doing my thing and um, praying and taking care of my wife and praying for my family. To me, I found out the past couple years that 
the most important choice a person can make in their life is whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But on the other hand, if you say, hey, I can do these things myself. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. You know, maybe I have Buddha or something, or I believe in the, you know, the trees or whatever, but I, it's not going to save your soul. You know, there's only one person that was crucified, died, and came back to life. And if that never happened, I'd be a fool. But I'm no fool because it happened. And I have faith and belief, and I know that someday my wife and I are going to have better bodies, looking good. We're going to be saying, good morning, Jesus. Hey, Moses, how, what's happening? You know, hey, Mom, hey, Dad. Hey, there's Billy over here, your cousins. Oh, it's, it's going to be good. But the only thing is, you got to believe it. You got to have faith. You have to go right to the engineer, the person, the guy who made the machine. Who made us? God made us. So he knows how to fix us. Everybody has their ups and downs. And being a Christian, we have our trials. But just knowing in your heart, I don't worry about things. I know I have these problems. I let the doctor and God take care of them. I just follow the orders. I don't worry. God is in control. Changed my life.